welcome back to My Story, His Story, Our Journey. This is Miss Mary here. I'm just thankful for everybody out there that's tuning in this week for our very last study on the subject of repentance. And uh, I also just want to remind everybody to please, if you know somebody that can benefit from this podcast, please encourage them, help walk them through it, help show them how to download the app Spotify or Anchor uh, FM and just help them to maybe see the first one or the second one and then they will be able to do it on their own. Sometimes these podcasts can be kind of confusing. Uh, It seems as if the podcasting now is the way of this generation and so that's the way we're going to reach the multitudes is be able to touch them where they actually are. So please continue to share this. I'm so proud that the Lord has been able to use me in a way that he has managed to reach six different countries with this podcast. And I just welcome everybody from all over to listen to the word of God because it is his word, not my word. And it is what he has to say about what he wants from us, what he requires from us, and just exactly how much he loves us. So please stay tuned for my part of the story as we enter into the very last study on repentance. And I will see you there. to my part of the story. Like I said before on the prior introductions, that when it comes to a particular study uh, that has several parts to it, my part of the story basically kind of stays the same. It really is just that my heart's desire was to truly understand what God expected from us and how Jesus Christ and the Father felt on repentance and just how often it was spoken on. My heart is, is that you will see through this study, like I did when I studied it and how it touched and changed my heart, was it to understand repentance is to understand how you can clearly see the difference in people that claim to be Christians and people that are truly Christians, do I know that there are Christians in this world that are babies in Christ? Yes. Yes, Paul clearly said that I wish to feed you meat, which means the deeper understanding and the knowledge just past the gospel, but you're not ready. But he was so confused because he knew they should have been maturing in their understanding about what Jesus Christ came for. I think a lot of people stop at just the gospel. And that almost in a way I could almost understand some baby believers because we really are living in a generation that is kind of centered it being really about what benefits them. So it's interesting because the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ coming and dying and being buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, which is the heart of the gospel, and that the penalty he paid on the cross was for those that were lost, for those that were sinners and understood that they were sinners and they needed that payment paid for. And that 
penalty went on Jesus Christ himself. So it took the punishment off of the believer and it put it on Jesus Christ. Which is why I don't believe you can lose your salvation. And I'm just going to be upfront and honest about it. Because if that was paid for at Calvary, Jesus Christ did not have to come down and be re-crucified on the cross to pay for any future sins. So it is by grace through faith that we come. But the Bible also talks about the fruit of the Spirit and what we will see in the person that is a true believer. But we also see babes in Christ having problems, which would be why the Holy Spirit led Paul to write all the letters that he had written to the church at Corinth. And there were so many different churches that he wrote to and gave explanation and he rebuked and and warned them about situations. And he said to them, you're, you're still on the milk of the word. You're not ready for the meat. And my point, what I was trying to make was, is that like a baby, you have a tendency to believe it's just about you. So you're just being fed. You're not growing. You're not learning. But in real life, babies do. They eventually learn something and they move on. And then they can even feed themselves. And yet Christian believers as babes in Christ have a tendency to take the gospel and say, okay, that's the payment for me and my sin on the cross. But anything beyond that, I I don't mind that you're my savior. I certainly want to be saved from the lake of fire and eternal judgment in hell. But now this follow stuff, I don't know about. Or this obedience, I don't know about. Or this complete change and I'm sorry, did you say in Galatians that I was crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live. But not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Is that what you said? I don't know. Now, I don't know if I really want to crucify my flesh. I don't really want to, I don't really know if I want to be changed to look like Jesus. Or to become exactly what you've always intended for me to be before the fall of man and sin entered the world. See, I'll take the gift of salvation, but I don't know about anything else. That's a very immature thought pattern because you have no understanding that God the Father has something so much more powerful for you. He wants you to be the creation that he originally meant for you to be. Now, again, I want to emphasize, you'll never be sin-free this side of heaven. You you never will be. Because you will always have that sin nature in your heart that will want to fight against the spiritual side. See, we call that carnal. And people that live as carnal Christians look almost identically like the world. But you don't see any difference in them. So my warning here is kind of twofold. One, when you see a person that says they're a Christian, but yet they don't act like one, 
God has warned us, you'll know them by the fruits that they bear. Are they bearing any of those fruits? Are they looking anything like Jesus? Do they even have one of his characteristics like love, being the strongest of all spiritual gifts? Do they have, do they show that? Well, one, you need to be sure that you're working out your own salvation in fear and trembling because sometimes you can look at the people in this world and say, well, there you go. Look, they say they're a Christian. They ain't no different than I am. Well, one day they're going to stand before the Lord and you and I don't know how they're going to stand before the Lord, whether it's in judgment and payment for their sin because they were really never believers or if it's going to be that they remained and stayed a baby in Christ. And what did they do with the gifts that Jesus had given them? Well, what about you? Because, see, you're still going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on one side or the other of that as well. Because it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I know that with every ounce of my being. So, when you're listening to this study on repentance, where do you see yourself? Did you repent from the understanding that, hey, I'm, some people will say, free, white, black, Asian, doesn't matter, and 21, I can do what I want to do. Did you repent from that concept and understand that you're living a life of sin? That by your very nature, you are wicked in your heart? And that one day there'll be a payment for that sin. There's a debt that is owed. So, are you paying that debt? Or is Jesus Christ paying that debt? Did you repent from that concept and say, oh no, I do believe Jesus Christ. I believe the words that came out of his mouth about who he was, what happened. And I repented and I turned to him and accepted him as my Savior. And then after that, the Holy Spirit helps you. It helps you grow. It helps teaching you. Do you feel that conviction in your heart? Because if there's never no conviction in your heart, there's a good chance there was never no Savior in your heart. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. And then you go from there and say, okay, so has the Holy Spirit convicted me, but yet I just want to hang on to this sin because it's just too fun right now. Are you suppressing the Holy Spirit? Or are you growing and showing those fruits? Are you becoming more in the image of Jesus as God had always intended you to be? Do you see yourself there as that person of beauty? A person that represents everything that Christ represents? Yes, we struggle, but there's still no excuse because the Holy Spirit is there to finish a work that He started in you. These are thoughts that I want you to think over. And if you have to go back and re-watch or re-listen, <laughs> there you go, re-listen to this particular set of episodes and then let that saturate in your mind. Where do I stand? Lord, examine my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me.
I would urge you to do that. But like I said, we are entering into the very last study on repentance, and that is the evidence of repentance. So I will be looking forward to joining you in his part of the story. Welcome to his part of the story. So this is where we're going to dive into God's word to see what Jesus Christ said and how he felt about repentance. And also we're going to see this spoken through the Apostle Paul. Now we will be studying in the book of Acts today and where the two main scriptures I kind of am coring in on and remember I always have a few scriptures that we core in on but then we spanned out to what is before it and maybe even a little bit below it and it is so extremely important and you're going to hear me say this I know it may get repetitive but I'm trying to show you what really needs to be done in your own study life you need to have a repetitive pattern of making sure you understand who wrote the book. We know the Holy Spirit writes the entire Bible, but the Holy Spirit speaks through people just as the Holy Spirit today speaks through people. And you need to know through who it was speaking, what letter it it was, who it was sent to, what was going on for the correction or the encouragement. It is so very important. That way you cannot be really tricked into somebody taking one or two scriptures out of the Bible and then doing an entire sermon or uh, even your own personal friend could tell you specifically, well, look here, this is what this says. And if you don't know what's before it or below it, you can easily be deceived by Satan. So we know here in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul is speaking, but he does actually quote the words of Jesus Christ and what his experience was. And But first I want to take you to, like I said, Acts chapter 26, but first to verse 19 and 20. It says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but shown first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works met for repentance. So, We can see here that Paul is speaking, and he is speaking to King Agrippa. Now, remember before we had talked about a lot of people believe the saddest scripture is Jesus wept. And then some people say the saddest scripture is when Jesus said, Go away from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And that is extremely very scary and sad scripture. But I also said that there was one that I remember piercing my heart as a believer and a follower of Christ and on a mission to reach 
the multitude of people that he wants to reach with his truth. And the one that saddens my heart the most, you're going to find actually in this particular reading today. So we know that it's Paul. So you say, well, where is Paul? Well, Paul has been arrested. And if you read prior, you know the chapters prior, you will see that he has not only been arrested, but they believe he is more like on home arrest in this situation, not like the time he was chained to a guard in a Roman prison with Roman bars. But he is actually on home arrest. But back then, I'm sure this was just as serious, and he knew that he could lose his life as it was in Rome. So I'm actually going to take you back to the beginning of chapter 26, and I will try to quickly move through it so this episode is not extremely long, but this is the very last one in this study. And I just ask that you bear with me, and I promise that you will be blessed through the reading of God's Word. So we're going to go back to verse 1 just to see what was going on and what surrounded these two particular scriptures on the concept of repentance. So we see here in verse 1, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. So here we see King Agrippa is now allowing Paul to stand before him and give an account for himself and defend himself, basically. So we see that Paul has gotten this far. He's before the king, and the king pretty much determines the fate of people. So verse 2 says, I think myself happy King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. So he says, well, I'm happy you've allowed me to appear before you to at least to try to defend myself, and I'm going to touch on all the things whereof I am accused. He's been accused by the Jews. He has now been arrested. And he's now ready to defend himself. Verse 3. Especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Well, that was nice. He started out with a compliment. He explained to the king, I know thee to be an expert. So he is getting the king's attention here by explaining to him, I know that you are an expert in all customs. And the word beseech naturally means, I beg thee to hear me patiently. Patiently. That's a God virtue. Actually, it's one of the very fruits that we are supposed to bear. So Paul is now asking the king, can you be patient with me? You know the customs. Just be patient and hear me out and let me speak. Have you ever been there when you're witnessing to people and trying to talk to them about Jesus Christ? One-on-one, 
is always the better way to go because you then have four on one. You, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with the spoken word inside you. Sometimes, if you're one with two people, it can get a little hectic. And I believe there's a second person here with King Agrippa. But right now, Paul's like one-on-one with King Agrippa. But we'll see how Festus enters into this. And then by the time you have three-on-one, you will never get to finish a sentence. They won't even allow it to be said. He said, be patient with me till I finish. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. So he, he's given his background. He starts out with his background. You know me. You know who I am. I was first among my own nation at Jerusalem. And he was known by all the Jews. He knew the Jews. He knew the people in which he used to grow up with and be around. Verse 5. Which knew me from the beginning if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So he says, if they would testify on my behalf, anybody that knows me, that grew up around me, my people could testify to you that I was very religious. Very religious. He lived as a Pharisee. He was once a Pharisee. He had high standard, high regard. Most people regarded him in a very high manner. But he was still religious. Verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. He's saying, now I'm being judged for the very hope and the promise that was given from God to our fathers. Unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. So he's saying, actually, what they don't understand is they're accusing me of the very one thing that we should be acknowledging. All of this time, I thought I was right. But see, there's a slight change, and you're going to see this repentance and this change unfold before your very eyes from the probably the greatest apostle that ever lived. Church planner. Wrote several 14, I believe, books of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit used him to write 14 books of this Holy Word. But yet he's confessing that what we thought we knew, what what our hope was, but now that he knows the true hope, and it's something that he should have caught on to 
long ago. He's saying that is what I'm being accused of right now. I'm in trouble for the true hope that was given to us by God. Verse 8, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? So now we see he has shifted to that hope. Now we know that our hope is in Jesus. And so now he's showing him. He's explaining to the king. I believed how you believed. I thought how you thought. And at this point, all of you that's been following me that I said, please just hang out here. Listen to the episodes. See what you think of Jesus. See how he loves you. See the price he paid for you. Get to know him. Don't let somebody else out in this world tell you who he is. Get to know him. Paul, which prior was Saul, is now explaining to you. He was one of you. But then he got to know Jesus and the truth and the hope and what the scriptures really, really meant. And now he's being accused of that. And he said, why should it be incredible to you that God should raise the dead? Why is someone upset at me for saying that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he was the Messiah? Why should that be a surprise to you? Like as if God's not capable or God didn't give promises about the Messiah? Verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things opposed to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Wow, do we see a severe regret here. We see a change of heart, a change of mind. You could see Paul's brokenness in his heart, that he was part of being confused. He was the one that stood on the other side that thought he was serving God Almighty, and he thought he was defending God, and the whole time he was wrong. And he said, I was part of that. I was a part of putting to death God's people. I was a voice against them. Verse 11. And I punished them often in the synagogue. And I was compelled, or I compelled them to blasphemy, which means he strove to he strove to make people believe that they were saying blasphemy things and being exceedingly mad against them i persecuted them even unto foreign cities so he spread it far and wide he tried his best just to tell everybody how wrong these christians were they were wrong they were wrong have you heard that in your life Don't listen to those Christians. They're narrow-minded. They're wrong. They're against you. They're here for division. 11, or uh, 12. Whereupon I was sent to Damascus with the authority and commission from the chief priest. 
At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven. Now here's his personal testimony. He confessed with his mouth his sin, how he was wrong. He had been convinced in his mind that he was right. And here is his testimony. I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining around about me and them which journeyed with me. So there was people with Saul at the time, who is Paul. He says, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew language, Jesus' words. Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? Is it, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, this is the thing that stuck out in Saul's mind, the very first thing. One, we see that he had fallen to the earth. How do you think you're going to react when you stand? before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, listen to the testimony of a man that once stood in the shoes of a lost person, stood in the shoes of a religious person. That's why you can't go in all different religions because there's only one way, and Jesus was very clear that he was that way. So you can say it, and you can be mad about it, and you can say, I don't care what you say, Miss Mary. Well, it's not what Miss Mary says. It's what this book says. This ancient, age-old book that has been around for thousands of years that have never been proven wrong, not one time. Not one time. They prove it wrong. But there he is. Jesus' words. Why persecutest thou me? Now, you might think to yourself, as I did when I first read this, is, wait a minute. He was actually persecuting the Christian followers. You ever feel that way too? If you're a believer, you're the Christian follower that's doing the will of your Father in heaven. And you feel like, I'm just being persecuted, made fun of. People don't want to be really associated with me because of the embarrassment that I speak of Jesus often. Do you ever feel that way? But listen carefully. What? Once again, it's not about you, and it's not about me. It says here, Why do you persecute thou me? See, Jesus knew who Saul was really coming up against. Jesus told us that. If they if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So he, he was coming up against God. So all of those people that are still listening... If God, in his all-powerful, loving self, sends a believer in your pathway to speak love and kindness and truth to you, and if they come in any other manner, then they may not be part of God. But if a Christian believer that has the fruits of the Spirit comes to you in love and kindness and peace and and they're trying to show you the love that Christ had for you. You go up against them. You need to understand this very statement. 
when you go up against them or us, you're going up against him. You're really persecuting Jesus and who he is and what he represents in this world. And then he proceeds to tell Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, the pricks was also known because I am reading out the New King James Version today instead of the ESV, but it's known as like a goad. Now, what that was was a long prod with very sharp, sharp points on it to prick at the cattle to get either sheep or cattle or some kind of animal to move. They would call that the pricks because it would prick them and it would hurt. It's interesting how Jesus said that to Saul. He's asking him, or he's actually, well, actually, he's not asking him. He's point blank telling him it's hard to kick against the pricks. So it's like Jesus is saying, I have been pricking you and pricking you and pricking you, Saul. I have been revealing myself. I have been showing you and I've sent people as you've watched Stephen be stoned to death. As you've heard from the other believers, I've been pricking you. Have you felt that prick in your heart? Anytime as you've been listening to this podcast, have you you felt that prick in your heart or something telling you there's truth to this? Listen. That is God the Father speaking to you from his word saying, listen to me, child. Listen. And Jesus said, it's hard to kick against that. See, you keep trying to kick at me, but you keep getting that prick in the foot. And if somebody comes in love and patience and long or well, long, patience is long suffering, but long suffering with you, and they love you, and and they keep and they come again, you keep kicking against it. But God could very well be trying to get your attention, and it could sting you and sting you every time you hear His very name or the subject of Jesus Christ. He'll get your attention. It's hard to kick against the prick. 15. And I say, Who are thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. I am Jesus, whom you are coming up against. Boy, after knowing Jesus for this many years, it gives me cold chills. I literally have chills on my body as I spoke that. You want to come up against him? The king of the world? The universe? He put Saul in his rightful place. And you'll see here in verse 16, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Wow. See, it's interesting here because it, it, it wasn't even like he asked him. He literally told him, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Rise up and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto you for this purpose. Yeah, that sounds more like a king. That's a king right there. 
because you will be put before him on your knees in faith. And when a king speaks from the throne, if any of you out there understand lordship or kingship, ever watch a movie with a king? It's not normally a request. The king says, stand up. You want to come against me? You want to murder my people? You want to deny the very mercy that's trying to be reached out to you to teach you and tell you truth? Then stand up and face me. Because you've been brought here for this purpose. And this purpose is to make you a minister and a witness both of this that has happened, these things, which you have seen now and revealed to you and those things which are still going to be appeared to you. He said, I'm going to keep coming and I'm going to keep showing you. And you're going to be a witness to that too, Saul. Delivering thee up from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I send thee. It's interesting because he was all about the Jews. But now he's sending him to the Gentiles. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Now, these are still Jesus' words. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified, which is set apart, by faith that is in me. See, Jesus knows. And he's now saying, I'm going to send you to them. And you're going to be the light and the witness to them. Now remember who he's still standing before. He's also standing before another king. King Agrippa. As he speaks of the higher king. 19. Whereunto, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. He's saying, I wasn't. I know that you think I am going against what we are supposed to know and believe in Moses and Abraham and the law. He said, I know what you're saying, King Agrippa, but listen to me. I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and of Jerusalem and throughout all of the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent. Here we are in those scriptures, 19 and 20. And turn to God and do works suitable for repentance. Now we've gotten down to it. Wow, did you see that story unfold? Works that is suitable for repentance. go just a little further. Verse 21. For these causes the Jews seized me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore ordained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to the small and to the great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. 
he again is saying, you know my background, you know who I am. I understood it and I thought I got it all, but I didn't. I missed it. I missed it. And now Christ has shown the truth to me and I am supporting and proclaiming that heavenly vision and promise that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that would rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles as well. And as he thus spoke for himself, okay, now listen here. There's more than one person we're witnessing to. Fetus, or Festus Fetus, I'm sorry. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside yourself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He said, Paul, you are crazy. Paul, all of this learning or all of what you believe you think you know about Jesus has made you mad. You're crazy. Now, I wonder how many times as a believer or a witness for Christ or a follower, which is a Christ mimicker, how many times have you been told you were crazy? (laughs) Really? Oh, I believe there's a heaven because, hey, we always want somewhere to go after we die. But I don't believe in hell. That's crazy. I'm good with believing in heaven. And a God, not just one God, but a God, we're back to benefiting ourselves. He said, you're crazy, Paul. You've gone mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. So he's taking it back to, I'm talking to the king, and I'm not mad. And he's trying to reassure the king, you know this. It's in you. It's there. It's somewhere in there. Before the king, also I speak freely, for I am persuaded. Right here. See, this is it, Christian. Are you persuaded? Do you stand fast in the truth when the world comes up against you, when your friends come up against you, when the uh, mainstream people, cancel culture, whatever you even want to call it, you can call it all kinds of names, but when they come up against you, do you stand firm? Are you a soldier for the Lord's army? Can you stand and say, I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For these, this thing was not done in a corner. He said, it's all there. It's in the scriptures. It's right before you. It hasn't been hidden. We missed it. We were confused. We are wrong. Coming up on that scripture that I told you seems to be the saddest to me. 27 and 28. 27. Paul says, 
King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Do you believe all of the prophets' writings? The ones that's been right there before us, but we missed. Do you believe it? And in desperation, I can feel Paul's desperation, he says, I know thou believest. Well, he sure wants him to. Isn't that the heart of every person that witnesses? I just need you to believe me. I want you to believe me. If you're listening to this podcast, do thou believest me? Do you believe me? Because everything inside of my heart wants these listeners, all of you out there, saved, lost. Do you believe me as I proclaim the word that came straight from God himself? I know thou believest. Boy, he sure is praying deep in his heart that he believes. But here is King Agrippa's answer. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Mm. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Every person out there that has the love of Jesus Christ in them, that has clearly in their mind found themselves to stand firm and never to be changed and have every purpose to reach those out there that Christ sends us to. That has to be a sad scripture for you. It is for me. I can't tell you how many people that I could feel the Holy Spirit bringing them completely to a point. And they're listening. But in the end they say, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul says, I am going to just read this one more. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. You know, do you ever just want to stand and say, I pray that not only you, but Festus, and anybody else that is around me that hear these words, was such as I am, together, like-minded, except for the bonds. You know, he stood there in chains. He was bound. But he said, I just wish you could know and understand and believe the truth that I am telling you, that you were all together such as me in this like-minded frame. 
except the bonds. Wow. There's a characteristic of Jesus Christ. Did you see it? Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they knew not what they do. And Paul, standing in chains, in spite of the fact they said, I almost believed you, said, I wished you would have. And I wished you would be the same and understand and be who Christ wants you to be. Change to me that I repented mind in my heart, in my thinking. I repented and I changed to his way and his line of thinking. I wish you were like me. I wished all of you around me today would understand. I just wouldn't wish these bonds upon you. That's the same love. That's the greatest of all spiritual gifts. I just wouldn't wish this persecution on you. Or what may even happen to me. I know that his part right here got a little lengthy. But I pray that you got from that what I got from that, just as just as Paul said. I pray you saw it. I pray you hear it, feel it, and see it spiritually. That the blinders would drop off your eyes, that Satan has you blinded. And that you would believe and receive the truth. Well, I'm going to stop right here for his part of the story. And you know I'm going to give you a very, very little short reading. I promise you, I'm splitting this time up in the commentary very short in our part of the journey. So I will see you again after this short advertisement in our part of the journey. Welcome back to our part of the journey. Well, did you see the repentance there? Did you see a life change before your eyes in those few small scriptures? Did you see the complete person that he was before and who he stood before King Agrippa as? You know, I encourage you to get in and just listen to the Word of God. Download a Bible app on your phone and put earphones in or anytime you're just relaxing somewhere where it's quiet and just listen. Listen to Jesus' words. Start in the New Testament. Go where you see Jesus is and, and listen. Just watch Him. Then your heart will have such a desire to know the rest of the Bible. But you could see how we could end on this note of repentance because it was clear that there was a complete change in mind and heart in Saul. And that's exactly what God knew would happen, which is why he called him Paul. He changed his name because he became a new creation. Has old things in your life passed away and things become new? That's scripture too that should show you that repentance should be in your life. But I'm going to just take you real quick just to this small portion of the commentary. 
It says here, the evidence of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ is seen in, one, the repentance of unbelieving Thomas in John 20, 24 through 29. Thomas would not believe that Christ had been raised from the dead until he saw the risen Savior and was given the opportunity to touch his hand pierced hand his nail-pierced hands, and thrust his hand into his wounded side. Thomas repented, believed, and made the great confession of faith, my Lord and my God. You know, what's interesting is it never really said that he touched his hands. Like after Jesus walked through the wall and appeared before him, showing him and saying, "Here here is the scars in my hand. Here is the wound in my side. It just said that, Thomas fell before him and said, My Lord, my God. Yeah, I got a feeling it'll be the same. You're you're going to confess him on this side of eternity and, and enjoy him and his presence and everything he always wanted for us after? Or you're going to confess him after in judgment and be separated from him for all eternity. Number two, 3,000 changed their minds, hearts, and wills on the day of Pentecost and immediately gave evidence of repentance. We see here the people at Pentecost showed evidence of repentance. Acts 2 verses 41 through 47. Look these up later. 3. Saul of Taurus experienced repentance when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and gave evidence of repentance. Acts 9, 1 through 22. I'd take it on down to 29 like I did. (laughs) 4. Cornelius. His family and friends repented when they heard the gospel preached by Simon Peter. And evidence of repentance followed. Acts 10, 24 through 48. Number 5. The Philippian jailer and his house repented when witnessed to by Paul and Silas. The evidence of repentance followed. Acts 16, 26-34 Repentance is a change of mind, heart, and will. The proof of repentance is 1. Turning from sin 2. Turning to God followed by good works, as you saw in the above verse. There you have it. That is a full picture from the beginning of the study of repentance clear to this very last fifth example of repentance. I pray that you listen to this as many times as you need to to examine your heart to know where you stand i know i i have to all the time i know where i stand i know in whom i believe and i will not be persuaded any other way but i always do want the lord to search my heart to see if there's any wicked way in me things that i could be doing the good works and the proof of the fruit of my life Am I doing what he would have me to do? Being busy about the Father's business just as his son Jesus Christ was. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful, beautiful word. Thank you for teaching us through your word that you make it so clear. Yes, Lord, sometimes we have to dig deep. Sometimes we have to study a little bit more, but that's okay because you didn't say to read to show yourself approved. You said study to show yourself approved, to seek you and we will find. We will know truth and that truth will set us free. Thank you for freeing my heart. Thank you for helping me see clearly the difference between an unrepented heart and a repented heart, between a lost person that claims to be a Christian, but the proof of the fruit and the direction of an actual follower's life and how important it is for your witness, for you to accomplish and finish the work that you had started in us and and to further your kingdom here on this side of heaven. Lord, use us, teach us, keep us humble, and help us every day to rely on you and your word only and not on anybody around us and what they have to say, but to have that very sweet personal relationship that you always wanted to have with us from the beginning of the garden. I love you, and I love you that you would give your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for us. That is the greatest blessing you could have ever given me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, and I will see you again next Tuesday as we join back together here, listening into God's Word and seeing where God has led my heart and what the Holy Spirit would have for me to share with you next Tuesday. Have a great day. And we'll see you again later at My Story, His Story, Our Journey.